0: called Meet Jesus, and that's out of the Gospel of John. And I'm not going to read the passage for you. I'm going to read it through again uh, as we get into the message. Have you ever asked yourself, uh, what would you do if you were faced with an impossible situation? What would you do if you were faced with an impossible situation? Um, I don't know if I'm weird or not, but I will often... Uh, consider hypothetically impossible situations around the scenarios around me. I I was at uh, LA Fitness the other week, and I'm thinking, like, what if a, a crazed gunman comes in the front? Like, what would I do? And I'm like up on my on the elliptical, like just working up on the upper level platform at, at LA Fitness. I'm thinking, like, if I had to like jump down to the lower level, like, would I break my leg or twist my ankle? Would I be able to run out? Would I be able to call Stephanie? Like, I'm thinking about all these things as I'm sitting there on the elliptical. Um, I remember one particular time where I thought I was in that type of situation. Uh, It was 2007, and I was visiting uh, New York City for the first time. And I was, I had just gone to the site where the towers had collapsed, and it was, just almost a spiritual, uh, emotional moment just to see it. And after that, I was hungry, so I went to McDonald's in Manhattan, and I'm sitting there just eating my quarter pounder with cheese, and I look out the window, and I see what looks like everyone either running or walking briskly in one direction with cell phones to their ears. I'm thinking, that's odd, (laughs) So I look at it, and sure enough, everyone's just running or, or walking really fast with their cell phone up, and I think immediately, something happened. So I, I, I get on my cell phone, and I call. I call my mom, and, and I can't get a call to go through. So I keep trying, I keep trying. Finally, the call goes through, and I say, hey, mom. I say, hey, where are you? I'm in, I'm in New York. I so I need you to get on the television and check to see what's going on in New York. He's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Mom, just turn on the television and tell me what's going on in new york so she turns on the tv and says oh nothing nothing's going on are you okay just check and she says oh wait there's there's been an explosion in new york city and I'm just like, oh shoot, it's going down. You know, I'm like, where do I go? I'm stuck in this McDonald's. I don't know if it's safer to go outside or for safer to stay inside. And think I'm this is looking like an impossible situation. I don't know if there's an escape route. Turns out uh, it was actually a steam pipe explosion. There's a, a picture of it uh, on the next slide. And uh, I, it was pretty massive. And it, you know you can imagine people are just on edge you know it's fairly recent with these terrorist attacks and we're in a war and all of a sudden you hear an explosion in Manhattan the first thing that comes to your mind is is the is the worst but it was a steam pipe explosion it was pretty massive uh thankfully uh I think one person might have actually died in this but uh I I was able to leave McDonald's and go somewhere else What if I told you that Jesus is not afraid of impossible situations? What if I told you that Jesus sometimes even creates impossible situations? And what if I told you that sometimes Jesus even leads us face to face with impossible situations just so that he can show us that Jesus is capable of? Of the impossible. Today's message is a story about the impossible. And the title of this message is Jesus is Capable of the Impossible. And I want to break this message into three sections. The first section is framing the impossible, the second section is doing the impossible, and the third section is seeing the impossible. So as we start looking at the first section, framing the impossible, I'm going to start off in verse 1 and read through verse 9. How does Jesus frame and introduce the impossible? Verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, he, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy who here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now the context is there's this huge crowd that is starting to follow Jesus. And they're following Jesus because of what they've heard him doing for the sick. So we read about several signs and wonders in the Gospel of John, but that's not all the signs and wonders that Jesus did. Jesus was doing lots of signs and wonders, and John was highlighting or selecting or curating those particular stories, which he thought would be most impactful for helping us to understand who Jesus is. But Jesus was doing lots of miracles. Jesus was doing lots of healings. And so his reputation had gone before him. He's got this large crowd, and later we see the number thrown out there is 5,000 men. Now, it's not just men who are part of this crowd. There's also women and children, and so uh, commentators think there may have been a crowd of almost 20,000 people that were in and around Jesus, listening to his teaching, and following Jesus wherever he went. Now, the, the interesting thing here is, Jesus creates an impossible situation. Jesus creates an impossible situation. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes and in seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? That is not the natural question that you would ask for 20,000 people. The the, the the more natural response would be, hey, it's getting late. Let's send them on their way. So Jesus presses the issue by, by introducing the idea of something that they would have thought was impossible. Hey, where are we going to buy bread to feed 20,000 people? People. And Jesus, it says that Jesus is actually intentionally asking this question, knowing exactly what he would do. So this is like a test for his disciples. Verse 6 He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, Philip responds in such a way that it's clear that what is being asked is something that would be nearly impossible. Verse 7 Philip answered him 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little now a denarii or denarius was a silver roman coin that was about a day's wage so he's talking about 200 days wages about eight months of salary this is a lot of money this is probably the money that they were had together that they were traveling with and basically what philip is saying is if we spent all our money to feed this crowd, it wouldn't be enough for each one to have even a little bit. And, and back then, uh, one uh, one denarius or one uh, one denarius would purchase about maybe anywhere from eight to 16 one-pound loaves of bread. So at most, even if you are most generous, those two hundred denarii would have purchased maybe thirty-two hundred loaves for about 20,000 people. So if you can imagine one loaf split six ways, okay, you get that one-sixth of one-pound loaf, right? That, that's, that's a snack. That's not dinner. All right. and, and picture this, 20,000 hungry, maybe hangry people... That that you have to control, and you're going to give them, maybe at best, if we spend all our traveling money, a snack. It's a bad plan. And and that's what Philip is saying. This is a bad plan. We don't have the money to do it the way we we should do it. And then, so that's plan A. Okay? And then you get plan B, which is even worse. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now, have you ever had an idea that seemed brilliant at the time? But then when you say it aloud, you realize it's a bad idea as soon as you say it? Like, that's kind of what's going on here. It's like, guys, I've got a plan. We don't have to spend any money at all. I, I saw this boy, and we can take his food. He's got five loaves and two fish, and there's 20,000 people. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to work. What are they for so many The point of all this is that even in their creative brainstorming, they realize there's there's no realistic way for them to feed 20,000 people. It's not possible. They don't have the money. They don't have the resources to make it happen. And that's exactly where Jesus wants them. Jesus is framing the impossible so that they would see that it's not because of their ingenious plans that they were able to do this impossible thing, but because of the miraculous power of God to intercede. So maybe, maybe facing the impossible is not something we need to be afraid of if we understand that Jesus is capable of the impossible capable of doing the impossible. And that's the second the second section of this is doing the impossible. And and by way of introduction, I want to show just a brief uh, video of a uh, a show that Stephanie and I really love. And so just watch this this clip as we go into the second section. There is a At, a, at what point do you realize that the impossible is occurring before your eyes? It's interesting that in this video it's a gradual process. She, she's not expecting anything abnormal to occur, but at some point, I don't know, maybe it was after the cucumber, right, things start to get unreal. And 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 so the the question is. Jesus, or Jesus is at that point in the story where he's going to do the impossible. And, and I want you to kind of imagine you're right there in the midst with his disciples. You don't know what's going to happen, but something incredible is going to happen uh, in these verses. Verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, firstly, between Philip and Andrew, right, plan A, let's just pay and buy a bunch of food. Okay. Plan B, let's take the boys' lunch and spread it out as far as it'll go. What's the better plan between those plans? Probably buying, because at least everyone would get a snack. Everyone would get something Maybe you could stave off the hangry mob for an hour or two, right? That's probably a better plan than just having a few people eat and everyone else go completely hungry. Now, which plan does Jesus choose? He chooses plan B. He chooses the worst plan between the two. And he chooses the worst plan specifically so that it would better highlight the miracle, the miraculous nature of what Jesus was doing. He chose the worst plan. Jesus starts with ordering his disciples to do something that's very possible. But hard, crowd control. I don't want you to gloss over it. You can read it and gloss over it and not think. If you don't actually picture yourself in that scene, what Jesus is asking them to do, Jesus says, make the people sit down. This is 20,000 hangry people. Make them sit down, make them be quiet. It's not something that they just quickly, they didn't have a PA system, they didn't have amplification. So this is his disciples are having to go into the crowd and, and work and say, hey, sit down, be quiet, sit down orderly fashion, we don't know why Jesus is telling us to do this, but do that. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Like, what would you be thinking if Jesus asked you to tell the crowd to go to work, and you know this crowd is hungry, you know it's getting late, you know these people should be go, they should be sent out, not telling them to sit down. Once all the people are settled. Once all the people are quiet, then Jesus takes the loaves and the fish from the boy. What's going on through the mind of the boy? Like, excuse me, Jesus, that's my, it's my bread. It's my fish. <laughs> Jesus takes the loaves, he takes the fish, he blesses it, and he gives it out. He gives it to his disciples to go and spread it out amongst. And I don't know at what point... They realized that something was happening, but every, it says everyone didn't just get a little bit, like everyone got their fill. Jesus just created a buffet from five loaves and two fish for 20,000 people, had all you could eat of bread and fish. Like, this is a miracle, it's miraculous. Like, there's no way, to it's not like everyone took a little bit, like, you, can, you can't explain it away other than God intervened in natural circumstances and did something supernatural. There's no other way to explain it. But not all Jesus did. Jesus also was doing this in front of his disciples. If you can imagine, his disciples had just exercised all this crowd control, so they were working, and now they were distributing food. And, and guess what? They, they also need to eat, right? They're also probably tired and hungry. And what Jesus says, take all that's left over, all the fragments of bread and fish, and gather them up. And they were gathered up into how many baskets? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Not an accident. And what Jesus is saying is, after all this work, I care about you too. And I'm giving you like a very large meal to celebrate what I just did for all these people, including yourselves. There's the compassion that Jesus cares about even like our hunger. Like and sometimes you can think, oh, God just cares about my spiritual well-being. God cares about our physical well-being. And he demonstrated that through healing people. He demonstrated that through feeding people. He demonstrated that through spending time with people. These are all ways in which Jesus has tangibly loved us. Jesus does the impossible, not just something that's like a cool trick, a magic trick, like we just saw on, on the video. Jesus does the impossible for our good. And, and that's what God is saying, is I'm doing the impossible for your good. So that this would be a blessing to you, not a curse to you. This wouldn't just be an amazing trick that you clap at. This would be something that you can actually fill your belly. Something that actually you can sense and and see and feel and taste the love of God. Jesus does the impossible for our good. What does it look like? in our lives when God does the impossible? What can God do with our five loaves and our two fish when we need in several orders of magnitude more than that? What can God do with the little food that we have, with the little money we have, with the little faith that we have? And the answer is quite a lot. What does it look like to see the impossible become possible? How do we respond when we see, when we understand? If we can begin to understand that Jesus is capable of the impossible, what does that do? How do we respond? This brings us to the last section, seeing the impossible, seeing the impossible. I'm going to read verse 14 through 21. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat and started across the lake to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, did the people understand that a miracle had taken place? Clearly. They absolutely understood that a miracle took place. Because they say, be, because of the sign they saw, they, they thought he was the prophet. And I, I'm not sure whether it was after 10 people started eating, or 20, or 50, or 100. At some point, they recognized that this is supernatural, this is odd. And they, and, they, and they attributed it to Jesus. They said because of the sign they saw Jesus do, they believed he was the prophet. So it wasn't that they thought the disciples did a magic trick. They understood that the reason why everyone was eating and having their fill was because Jesus did something. And they, and they, and they recognized that and they said, this guy must be the prophet. Now, they would have been uh, referencing Moses. Moses. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, uh, Mo- Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So they knew this prophecy. And one of the reasons I think they, they clearly connected Jesus to that prophet that Moses spoke of is because God has sort of had a habit of providing food miraculously if you if you go back to exodus chapter 16 exodus is the story where uh israel the people of israel were enslaved in egypt and god used moses to basically free his people to to release them from bondage to be free to worship god and as they leave egypt the people start to grumble and so in, in chapter 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel started to grumble. And in verse 3, they said they complained because in Egypt, where they were slaves, they kind of forget that. They said, we had meat, we had food. So there's sort of, uh, I don't know if you ever look back at life and you, you see life in the past as better than it actually was sometimes. Because maybe your current circumstances is rough. Oh, I just wish I could go back to that time. But if, you really, if you're really honest, you remember that time wasn't as great as you're remembering it. And that's kind of what's happening with the Israel, with the uh, people of Israel. They're kind of glossing over the fact that they were enslaved. They were glossing over the fact that they were, they had burdens that were hard to bear. And they're remembering because what they don't have now is, is the meat, the food that they wanted. That they had before. And so God still cares. And God says, I'm going to give you bread from heaven this this manna that falls from heaven in a miraculous way God provides the bread the nourishment that his people needs and so there's this uncoincidental uh, analogy to what Jesus does in providing bread supernaturally to what God did with Moses when he provided supernaturally so that they could understand that wow okay This guy, Jesus, must be like Moses. He's the prophet that Moses had wrote about. And rightly so. They rightly identified him as the prophet. But they still didn't fully understand who Jesus is. And how do you know it? It's because they wanted to make him king. And Jesus wanted no part of it. You see, what they were interested in was a political savior. They wanted a king. They wanted a new kingdom. They were remembering their own glory days back when King David and King Solomon ruled. When they had this glorious temple, the presence of God was with them. They had their sovereignty. They wanted Jesus to make Israel great again. And, And Jesus says, That's not my main intention My main intention is not to come here As a political savior or king My main intention is not to Return Israel to its glory Glory days My main intention is to come as Not a political savior but a spiritual savior The problem Is not political or The solution is not political Okay Kingdoms um, There's no perfect kingdom Ever and never will be Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, and they fall because they're all made up of people who are spiritually broken. And and that's the, the, if you look at the world, if we're honest, we know that the world is not the way it ought to be. And you can give myriad of examples of why. I'll give one if we stay with the theme of food. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. The earth uh, already produces enough food to feed 10 billion people. There are not 10 billion people on earth. There are over seven. But there's already enough food. And yet, 815 million people in the world do not have enough food to be well nourished. The problem is not a lack of resources. The problem is not a lack of food. The problem is a poverty of spirit and heart. When we say, I care more about me and mine than I do about you and yours, and we're all part of the problem. It's not just the people out there. It's we're part of the problem. And Jesus says, I've come to solve that problem. And he's come to solve that problem not by political means, not by force, but by changing people's hearts. That's why the, the, the whole Bible is talking about a man who would come and, and speak the words of God to us so that if we would listen, so that if we would believe, so that if we would trust Jesus, he would give us new hearts that are now warm to the things of God, that now pursue God, that now want to see God transform and work in and through them for the good of our communities. It starts with heart change. Kings don't change hearts. Presidents don't change hearts. Laws don't change hearts. Jesus changes hearts. And that's why Jesus came as a spiritual savior. Yes, he is a king, and he will come, and he will rule, but he does it through salvation of the spirit, and he does that through death. Jesus came to die, to pay for our greed, to pay for our envy, to pay for our bitterness, to pay for all the things in us that that prevent us from loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus came to pay for that through his death. He wasn't ready to be made king. He says, I've got to die. And so he withdraws himself. He says, that's not my plan. I've got another plan, and it's to save the world Jesus, in performing this miracle, is demonstrating that he is capable, he is willing to overcome the impossible. And that should give us hope of impos- that the impossible things of life, whether big things like world hunger, of disease, of tyranny, of violence, one day Jesus will solve that. He will rid the world of those things. But it also addresses the impossible circumstances of our own life. And I'd like to invite the the worship team to to come up as I conclude this message. The question I want to ask us is, what about the impossible circumstances in our own lives? Right? I mean, we think about world hunger, but when it it comes down to it, like, we care about the things, the day-to-day things of our lives, the financial impossibilities, the relational impossibilities, All these types of things that we face and we wonder, is there a route out? Is there a path forward? Is God strong enough? Is he able to come through in the things that I face on a day-to-day basis? And, and, And Jesus is teaching this illustration through what happens in the last part of this passage. When evening came, his disciples went to the lake and got into a boat and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake had become rough because of a strong wind. There was a storm that came. They were in the middle of the night, in the middle of the lake, with a storm brewing. And this is just after they had seen God do a miraculous thing of providing bread for 20,000 people and fish. And the question is, how do they respond? They see Jesus walking out in the lake. And they're afraid. They're afraid. And that's often the response that we have. Like we can think of times where God did something miraculous, where God did, where God came through in a big way in our prior life. But then when the next thing comes, we forget. And we're afraid. And we're and we're wondering again: will God rescue me from this storm? And, and the hope that I want to leave you today with. Is that Jesus comes and it might look scary at first, but Jesus says, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Jesus is with us in the storms of life. And when Jesus speaks those words of comfort to them, they hear it, they receive it, they welcome him into the boat, into the midst of their calamity. And they're glad because of it. It says, immediately they were at the shore. They were to their destination. We serve a God and a king who's with us, who does the impossible for our good. He will get us to our destination. This is the God we serve. And I know a lot of us, you know, we'd rather avoid the storms if we could, right? That's why we have weather app. We look at the forecast. Like I, we would love like a life weather app, wouldn't we? Right? Looks like Thursday, there's an 80 percent chance of a major argument with my wife. I'm going to do something different. But God's not giving us life weather apps. God sometimes leads us to those storms so that we would see His ability to carry us through that storm. We serve a great God. We serve a great Savior. And I want to encourage us this morning to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, to cry out to Jesus, to praise Jesus for what he's done before and what he will do going forward. And so would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our Savior to do what for us is impossible. Father, would you help us to believe? Would you give us faith to trust you even in the midst of the storms of life? Lord, would you give us faith to trust that that you can multiply what little we have into abundance, Lord, that we thought unimaginable? Lord, I pray that whatever it is we're struggling right now with, Lord, that we would be so bold as to lay it at your feet and trust, Lord, that you are big enough, you are strong enough to deal with it. Lord, we we understand and know, Lord, how high, how wide, how long, how deep your love is for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, that you've done the impossible for us. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we all